Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you with us as we begin a new series titled Satan's Favorite Lies. This week, lead pastor David Fossil begins this series as we consider the statement, God grades on a curve. We're reminded of the attributes of God, how he's righteous, just, and holy, the exact opposite of our enemy. Listen as Pastor Dave helps us understand Jesus' challenge for our lives and gives us some pointers on how we can have a better faith journey. For the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about lies that Satan tries to tell us to convince us to go on the wrong path. Uh, unfold your notes. We're actually going to get to them right now. We're going to jump right in. Uh, every week, I'm going to try and tell you a little bit about our enemy. As we go back into the world and face the enemy, one of the things to combat and to win in this thing called life is you have to know what he's doing. We're going to start out and we're going to jump right in and talk about his strategy. What is he trying to do to you? Okay, three quick principles. Principle number one is Satan's nature is to lie and he's really good at it. His nature is to lie. He's really good at it. Uh, John chapter 8 talks to us about his character. Interesting verse. It says, when the devil, when Satan lies, he speaks his native language. Many of you know I grew up in Spain. I lived there till I was 18, 19 years old. Spanish is my native language. I, I might speak English and sound like an American, but I dream in Spanish. I do. That's how I, that was my, my, my language growing up. It's my native language. You grew up in, in, in France. French is your, is your native language. You'll grow up in England or the States. English is your native language. Uh, but, but Satan, his native language, what come natural to him is lying. Interesting descriptor of him. He is a liar and the, the father of lies. When someone is referred to as the father of electricity or the father of economics or the, something like that, it means they're the ones that first started it. Do you realize the, the, the person that first lied was Satan? First one. He was the first lie. And he's become really good at it. Second principle is this, is that his favorite weapon is half-truth. See, he's far too smart than to give you one big whopping lie. Because he knows you and I are not going to accept it. We're too smart to accept something that sounds ridiculous. What he tries to do is mix some truth with some lies and then he has us. I, I probably will get to it in the next couple of weeks. I have some references down here. Genesis chapter 3. That's when Adam and Eve disobey God and eat from the fruit of the tree that God commanded them not to. You do realize when Satan is tempting them, he's speaking truth to them. You know this, right? It's just a little bit of lie. In fact, he just leaves something out. He says to, to Eve this. If you eat from the, from the tree of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil, you're going to gain extra knowledge. That is true. It is absolutely true. But he left out a little piece of that truth. You, you will gain knowledge. You will gain knowledge and experience and the consequences of sin. He left that little piece out. But you want to gain knowledge about sin and what that looks like, what that feels like, go ahead and have some fruit off that tree. It was completely true. When you look at Matthew chapter 4, when Satan is tempting Jesus, read the story. Most of it is true. He takes truth and lies and mixes it together. 
It's kind of like if you want to you want to go into the counterfeit business and you want to print off $50 bills, you don't make that counterfeit $50 bills out of blue paper. You don't take Ulysses S. Grant, our president, off the picture of the $50 bill and put, I don't know, Steph Curry on the front, right? What do you do? You try and make the counterfeit $50 bill look as close to the original one as possible. And that's what Satan does. He tries to make his lies look as truthful as possible. He's in the business of half-truths. Half-truths. The last one is the principle we're going to be talking about week after week after week. A lie that is believed as truth. Something that is inaccurate that you and I believe. Always, every single time impacts our life. Every single time. It impacts what we think. Then it impacts how we feel. And eventually it impacts what we do or what we say. Every single time. It is interesting what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm afraid says the Apostle Paul. I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, just like Satan deceived Eve in the Garden of Eden, I'm afraid that you, every single one of you, you may somehow also be led astray from your devotion to Christ. You see, Satan's strategy with you is the same strategy he had with Eve. If I can just tell them a lie and they believe it, I got them. I win. Now, this principle is proven time and time and time and time again. Let me put this next slide up here. This happened in 1938. Uh, this is the young Orson Welles filmmaker. He became a filmmaker, but at the time, he was a radio producer. Now, some of you may have heard this story, right? It was eventually turned into a movie. It was such a sensational news story. He had a program. Now, this is back in the day where radio is king. It's the top entertainment form in America back in the 1930s, right? And what he did is he had this... This show, this story, that's all it was. It was a dramatic story, and it was called The War of the Worlds. The War of the Worlds. But how he tricked everybody is he presented it in a newscast form. So he would be explaining and talking about things and say, oh, hey, the Warriors start their first playoff game today. So he said a little bit of truth. And then right in the middle of that, he would insert something else, a news bulletin. And then he would talk about something that was true. Hey, did you guys hear what United Airlines did this week? And he'd talk about that. And then and then he would insert something else. Do you know what it was that he was inserting? He told everybody that at that very moment, aliens were invading the United States of America. And as because it was presented as a, in a newscast form, thousands and thousands and thousands of Americans actually believed it. And the next day in the newspapers, this is what we read. Radio plays, a radio play terrifies nation. Mars invasion, far left, Mars invasion, thought real. It's the same principle over and over again. Anytime you and I believe something that is not true, it always impacts our life. In this case, thousands of people got in their cars and drove to the mountain. Thousands of people called the police station because they were scared. They actually believed it is true and it impacted how they felt and in many cases impacted what they did every single time. Now, here's what Satan wants to do with you and with me. If I can get them to believe a lie about themselves, if I can get them to be, believe a lie about life, 
If I can get them to believe a lie about happiness, about marriage, about sex, about money. If I can get them to believe a lie, oh, I'm so hoping. If I can get them to believe a lie about God, I win. I don't even have to worry about them pretty much for the rest of my life. Because on their own, they will follow that path and keep heading in the wrong direction. That's his entire strategy to get us to believe lies. Now, the lie we're talking about this morning, if you saw it on your study guide, is this lie that God grades on a curve. Now, what does that mean? You see this graph up there on the chart. Uh, when we use the phrase grading on a curve, those of you who are teachers or you've gone to college, you know what that means. You've heard that phrase before. It's educational theory, and here's how it works. It, 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 was, it was invented by someone that, that figured out sometimes a professor gives a test that's far too difficult. And so when you grade on a curve, you adjust the scores of the exam and the test to give more people an opportunity to get better grades. Does that make sense? So you see the graph. I was surprised that people with educational theory are actually, actually given suggested percentages about what people should get on exam. So you see it up on the screen, far right-hand corner. On any given exam, 10% of those taking the exam should get an A. Only 10%. We're only going to reward 10% of people taking the exam and give them an A. 15% of people are going to get a B. The glut of the class is going to get some form of C. 50% are either going to get a C plus, C, or C minus. 15% are going to get a D. And only 10% of the class is going to fail and get an F. Now, the lie that we're talking about is this idea that so many people believe that that's what God does when it comes to salvation. He grades on a curve. See, the, the main thing is he just wants to make sure you're more or less a good person. And as long as you're not in the bottom 10% worst people in the world, you know, the, the Saddam Husseins, the Adolf Hitlers, the drug dealers, the murders, the, the worst people, right? The lowest 10%, as long as you're not there, you sh you're going to make it. It's about being a good person. Now, here's why I decided to begin week one of this series on Easter Sunday. Blew my mind. Research shows that upwards of 30 to 40% of church-growing American Christians, that's us, three to four out of 10 of us in church actually believe a form of that principle. And you're going, not me, it must be someone else in my row. No, here's how it comes, here's how we say it. You ready? Here's how we say it. Well, I believe in Jesus. I've chosen Jesus as my savior. But you know, I have a lot of people in my life and they haven't. So for example, I got this guy that I work with and he's Jewish. And he's such a nice guy. But he doesn't, he doesn't believe in Jesus. You know, he does his Jewish faith thing. But he's a really nice guy. I'm Pretty sure he's going to make it. I got this neighbor that lives across the street and they're Muslim. And oh my goodness, I can't believe how nice they are. I mean, they are, they're almost nicer than I am. Really, they're nicer than I am, right? And, and, and they, they believe in Allah, which honestly, pastor, it's just another word for God. That's all it is. And so they, they believe something a little different. They read a different book than we read, but they're such good people. They are certainly not in the bottom 10% worst people in the world. Pretty sure they're going to make it. I have family members 
And, and they, you know, they, they're not really into church. I mean, every once in a while they'll show up, you know, if I'm doing something special in church or for a special day or something like that. But they don't really go to church. But, you know, he went through AA and, and he believes in a higher power. I mean, that's God, right? Sort of. And that's God. And, and you know, he, he's not into Jesus, but he's a nice guy. Pretty sure he's going to make it. It's the reason every one of us, most of us, three out of four of us, when one of those people dies, we'll throw this phrase out. You ready? Thank goodness they're in a better place. Are you sure? Are you sure? Because it's a big deal. Because if you believe a form of this, you're, you're starting to go down that path. It may be just a little bit of untruth, but he's got us going in the wrong direction. And see, here's the thing. Here's the challenge. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says something quite different. Let me show you what it says. Let's put the verse up there. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2 says, You and I are saved through faith, not by what we do, not by works, not by how nice of a person you are. Now, I'm glad you're a nice person, and there's value in that at some point, but it doesn't save you. doesn't save you. Let's look at what the Bible says on this. A couple verses. The claims that God makes is that only Jesus saves us. If you want to get to the final exam on the other side of death, there's one question you get asked. What did you do with Jesus? It's the only question. First Timothy chapter two, there's one mediator between God and man and his name is Jesus. First John chapter five, God has given eternal life and this is in his son's, and this comes through his son Jesus. Acts chapter four, salvation is found in no one else but Jesus. I could give you verse after verse after verse after verse and it says the same thing. You may not agree with it. Many in the world don't agree with it, but be very clear that this book is very clear in saying there's only one, one way to get to heaven in his name with Jesus. But let's just see what he says. John chapter 14, Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the truth and I'm the life. No one comes to the father. No one gets saved. No one goes to heaven except through me. Now, here's what Satan's going to do. He's not going to just sit back and roll over and play dead and get you got me. Now, he's going to give you and I some what is considered to be very rational, thoughtful responses to try and get us back on that other path. Here's what he comes up with. Let's put the next slide up there. The five things. There it is right there. Number one, he's a loving, a loving God certainly isn't going to throw people into hell. I, I don't believe that. Number two, you know, there's a lot of really good, sincere people that, that believe and have other faiths. As long as they're sincere, they're, they're, they'll be fine, right? You know, this idea that Jesus is the only way, that seems really pretentious. Seems really cocky. You know, honestly, it sounds un-American. Something that narrow-minded certainly can't be true. Number four, popularity. You do know that billions, billions of people don't believe Jesus is the only way. Billions. Certainly they can't all be wrong. And number five, you know, in the end, all the world religions, they're basically the same. There's five world religions. Christianity is one. Hinduism, uh, Buddhism, Islam, and Judaism. Five world religions. But in the end... They're all basically talking about the same guy, same God. You see, this is how it works, Pastor. Pretend that there are five blind guys and they go up to an elephant. And they're meant to describe what an elephant is like based upon what they feel. So the first guy goes up and he feels the body of the elephant. And he says, you know, what an elephant is, is like a big hairy wall. 
And there's another guy, and he's at the front of the elephant. And he's got the, the, the trunk of the elephant. He says, I, no, I think you're completely wrong. Elephant is like a big, I don't know what I would call it, but like a, like a snake, a long, hairy snake. The guy that's touching the tusk says, oh, no, no, you, both of you are completely wrong. And, uh, what an elephant is is smooth and it's pointy at the, at the end. The guy on the far end touching the tail, and he's saying, you know, you, the, the guy who says it's like a wall, you're wrong. The guy who says it's smooth, you're wrong. He's touching the tail, and he says, an elephant is more like a rope. But you see, Pastor, it's the same analogy with world religions. They're all got different parts of the body. They all touch in different parts of God, but in the end, it's the same God. They're all the same thing. You know, there's many paths to the mountain, but in the end, they all end up at the top. Now, books have been written about this. Uh, uh, university classes have been covering all this. I'm going to give you one minute on each of them. Loving God. Oh, let's go back. Loving God. What's the answer to loving God? Well, um, this week... I will be having different roles right now. I got the hat that says Pastor Dave. When I walk out those doors, I will be husband Dave. Then when I get home, I'll be dad Dave. Uh, uh, we have Monday off, tomorrow off, so I'm going to go to practice tomorrow afternoon. I'll be coach Dave. I'm going to go back to the office on Tuesday. I'll be boss Dave. Different hats, different roles. But you can't do that with God when it comes to his character. Yes, he is a loving, merciful God. But at the very same time, he is righteous he is just and he is holy. And those demand what basically is being talked about in here. You know, one of the things we have to understand is God isn't going to slam dunk anybody into, into hell. See, what hell is when you read this book is nothing more than God saying, I'm going to give you an expanded capacity to experience what you sought after in life. Let me say that one more time. The afterlife, wherever you end up, is you having an expanded capacity to experience what you sought after here in life. So if you are seeking after the things of Jesus, guess what he gets to give you on the afterlife? An expanded capacity to experience that. But if you and I live our lives not seeking after the things of God in the afterlife, he says, you know what? I'm going to give you what you wanted all along. You wanted a life without me. You can have that. You know what? It is hard for me when I read passages that talk about the afterlife and they talk about the opposite plate of a place of heaven. But it's in the Bible. Second one, sincerity. You do know that sincerity is not the watermark that determines truth, right? It's not it's not it's not what determines truth. A doctor does it all the time, not on purpose. But a doctor sometimes can sincerely give a wrong diagnosis, can't they? But they're wrong. Have you ever taken an exam and sincerely thought you were writing down the right answers? Sincerity doesn't determine truthfulness. A politician can be sincerely wrong. A pastor can be sincerely wrong. A parent can be sincerely wrong. I'm glad people are sincere, but that does not determine truth. Narrow-minded seems very narrow-minded. It is. And just to be clear, I'm not the one that said Jesus was the only way. He said it. I'm just repeating it. He's the one that said it. But, you know, we apply that principle to many things in life. There's many things that are very narrow, very exclusive, but we accept them as true. My car, my Camry, tells me, the manual, I am only allowed to put motor oil, 10W30, in the engine. What if I decided Toyota Corporation is being far too narrow-minded? I'm going to put olive oil. 
you know what? Massage oil. I like the way that little mint smells in the lemon. Put some massage oil in there. Make the car smell nice. And if the car blows up, do I have any right then to call the Toyota Corporation and say, you guys build crappy cars. Well, what happened? Well, what happened is I didn't follow the manual. There's the, here's the manual. You don't have to follow it, but just understand, here's the manual for life. Number four, popularity. This one's an easy one. Just because something's popular, you got to be really careful. Doesn't mean it's right. I'm going to give you the extreme examples. 1933, early 1940s, the Nazi party had a 98.5 popularity rating in Germany. Certainly, we aren't going to say that they were right. In our own country, just a couple hundred or so years ago, slavery was considered to be very popular and accepted. Certainly, we're not going to say that is right. Just because something is popular doesn't make it right. The last one, I'm going to make this very simple, very clear, and I'm going to try and be as tender as I can. Okay? When people say that all the world religions are basically the same, they're being intellectually dishonest. And here's what I know when someone says that to me. You have not really done your homework. Because secular university professors, they're not even Christians. They take the world religions and they put them side by side. You know what they determine? They can't all be right. In fact, only one of them can be right. Secular university professors. Before I get into the story and the passage I want to read to you today, if you believe this, this is what concerns me so much about how we live our lives. Stacy, do we have that one slide we were talking about? The three things you and I believe. There we go. When you and I believe that God grades on a curve, this is what happens to us. We feel safe in our own goodness. Here's what many of us do. I'm not in the bottom 10%, so I should be fine. We feel safe in our goodness. Number two, we procrastinate getting serious about Jesus. Check this out. If all you got to do is be a good person to get to heaven... Jesus becomes extra credit. That's all he is. He's extra credit. Be a good person. And if you really, if you want an A, do the Jesus thing. You get an A plus, you might get an upgrade in the castle when you get to heaven. And the last one, we minimize the importance of witnessing. Oh, I know the pastor keeps telling me to bring people to church and to share my faith with them, but they're good people. And if they're good people, they'll make it. And if they're going to make it, what's the point of me witnessing? Do you see how that goes? If you have your Bibles, here's what I'm going to take us. And we're going to go over with this for the next 10, 15 minutes. We'll wrap it up. Luke chapter 24 is the Easter story. And here's what it says. I do have the verses for you on the screen if you want to follow there. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared, went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning uh, stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. That's the Easter story. First six verses of Luke chapter 24. I have three kids, my middle one, Jessica, she must have been four years old at the time, five years old maybe. We're at the kitchen table, we're about ready to go to an Easter event, just like the one we had yesterday, but much, much smaller, right? So I'm, I'm there, and I said to, 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 to my daughter Jess, I said, what is Easter all about? I, that's not, I, I want her to know that, not because I'm a pastor, but as, my, as a dad, I want my kids to understand what's going on with Easter. 
And so my five-year-old, four or five-year-old Jess, she goes, e- Easter is when, when Jesus died on the cross. And, and, and I added, and then what? Uh, and, and then they put him in the grave. Very good. And then what? And then he rose from the dead. And then what? And she had this puzzled look on her face. What do you mean? What do you mean? And then what? There's the Easter story right there. He's risen. That's it. No, I get it. He died on the cross. They put him in the grave. He rose from the dead. And then what? And finally her eyes sparkled and she said, and then I get a ton of candy from the Easter party. So I took her to her room and spanked her. You know, no, I didn't. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. We do what my five-year-old does. Easter, he died, put in the grave, he rose. Done. Let's go have brunch and let's get out of here. Nope. I still got 15 minutes. Hold on. I got a question for you. Now what? Because you see, it goes on. It doesn't stop there. But many of us do. Intellectually and spiritually, we stop at verse 6. And I want to ask you, and then what? The story goes on, verse 7. He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? So the angels are speaking to the women at the tomb, right? Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of sinners. Then he's going to be crucified. And on the third day, he'll raise from again. So the angels are telling the women, don't you remember what he said to you? And then they remembered his words. I think this is rather humorous. You're right. He did say he was going to die and then raise for the dead. How do you forget that? How do you, you're right. Remember when we were having that picnic? He thought he was talking about that. You want to know what my job is? Half the time, it's not to give you more information. It's just to help you remember. That's it. You know most of it. Do you remember what he said about what you should, how you should say and what you should say and not say? Remember that? You remember how you should have a marriage? You remember what you should do with your career? Remember what you should do with money? You remember what you should do with your time? You remember. So much of it is us. We know it, but we can't, we forget as in we don't apply it. You remember what he said about what it means to live and being a follower of Christ means also being involved in a local church. Remember when he said that? And then the story takes a little turn. It takes a turn and I find it again. I just, when I read it, I find it a little funny. Let me show you what I, what it says. Verse nine. Then uh, they came back to the tomb. They all told these things to the 11 disciples. So they see the empty tomb. They talk to the angels. They run back to town. They find the 11 disciples. They tell them. Now look at high powered women, probably the most important women in the early church. It was Mary. Magdalene, Joanne, Mary, mother of James, which is also Mary, mother of Jesus. But by this time, they're calling her Mary, mother of James, because supposedly Jesus is dead. Mary, mother of James or Jesus is there and with others. And they told them to this to the apostles. But watch, they didn't believe him. The most important women in the early church come back. They give a report and the disciples say, I don't think so. Why? Because their words seem to them like nonsense. I wrote it down. One, one, uh, Bible translation translates it sheer imagination. The other one says fairy tale. But see, let's be honest. Some of us, we've been in church so long 
that we've heard this story so often, we, we don't reflect how initially when you first hear the story of the Bible and the story of Easter, it really does sound like nonsense. The story of Jesus initially sounds that way. So, so there was this lady and she was a virgin. She hadn't been with anybody and she had a kid, right? Well, technically God was the dad and he just kind of placed the baby in her womb, but that, that, it's too hard to explain. She was a virgin, right? And so then she goes and she has a baby. And then the, the day the baby is born, there's angels in the sky and they're singing and shepherds show up and magi show up and they give them gifts, but I'm taking too long with the birth. Let me fast forward. He was perfect. He lived a perfect life. He was super good guy. He was really loving. He healed people. He was such a good guy. People hated him. They hated him so much. They killed him. Thank goodness, though, when they threw him into the tomb three days later, he rose from the dead. He hung out with his buddies for about a month. Then he floated in the sky. But we think he's going to come back one day riding on a white horse to get us. If someone says that to us, you have to say, yeah, that's pretty much what we believe. I mean, we think the white horse is symbolic, but... Pretty much that's what we believe. It sounds like nonsense. And you have to understand that when you share with your coworkers, your friends, that they haven't heard the story, it really does seem a little crazy. I'm just hoping when you share it, and if you're here today and some of this sounds like nonsense, I hope that you'll have the approach that Peter has. Peter, however, got up and he ran to the tomb. So he didn't believe, but he's going to check it out. That's what I want to encourage you to do. I'm fine with you not believing yet, as long as you check it out. Bending over, he saw the strips of limb and lying by themselves. He went away, wondering to himself what had happened. That word wondering, that verb in the Greek, which is what the Gospel of Luke was written in, literally means to carefully consider. I really am. I'm okay with you not believing all of this yet, but I desperately want to encourage you to wonder, to carefully consider the claims of Jesus and the claims of this book, because if they're right, they change everything. They change everything. The story goes on. Verse 13. Now that same day, two followers of Jesus, two guys were going to a village called Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. Why is that important? Because seven miles is what was considered a day's journey. Now in our day, seven miles is nothing. Oh my goodness. It's going to take me less than 10 minutes to go seven miles because you have a car. But when you're going by foot, seven miles is about how far you can get in those days. One day's journey for us. One day's journey is pretty much here to LA more or less, right? So think, one day's journey, watch what had happened. These two guys were walking, talking with each other, everything that had happened. So the same day that the women see the empty tomb, they go tell the 11 disciples, that same day, seven miles away, one full day's journey away, with no internet, with no texting, these guys, the story's beginning to spread. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself, he shows up. He came up, walked alongside them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Now you got to see this picture. This is not Bart where people are shoulder to shoulder. These are two guys walking on a dirt road to Emmaus. Yeah. And then supposedly the women were at the tomb and they showed up and there was nothing in the tomb. 
And they went in and the strips were there. And then these angels showed up and the angels were started talking to him. So I, we don't know what happened, but pretty much he raised from the dead. And as they're telling the story, they're talking about what happened. All of a sudden, some guy comes walking up. Have you ever had someone insert your, themselves into your conversation? What, what are you guys talking about? You just like, oh, to walk all by yourself then. What, what are you guys talking about? I just think that's funny. How funny is that? Jesus come right up next to him, right? And this is what they say to him. Next slide. One of them named Klepus. By the way, if you're looking for a baby name, that's a great name right there. That's a... (laughs) Focus. One of them named Klepus asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? This whole week, he came in Palm Sunday, and then they beat him, and then the cross, and everything. Where have you been? Right? What things, Jesus asked? About Jesus of Nazareth. I think it's hilarious. Jesus is asking about Jesus. Right? And then, verses 20 and following, they tell him the story. Really? And then what happened? I could just imagine what's happening, right? During this time. Now, remember what I asked my daughter, Jess? Now what? Now what? Here comes the answer for you. The Easter story. Now what? What do I do? Now what? Jesus said to them. So they tell them the whole Easter story. And Jesus listens. Now what? He said to them, how foolish you are. How slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter in his glory? And beginning with Moses, the first five books of the Bible written by Moses, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. Now what? Take this book seriously. Take it seriously. See, many of you, I know you believe that this is the word of God. Here's my issue. You don't treat it like it's the word of God. I've told you before, this is my teaching Bible. It's not the one I read from uh, during the week. And most Bibles, I looked this morning, this one has it. On the front page, it has this blank page, and it says presented to blank by blank, and then on, and it gives a date, right? Um, about 27, 28 years ago, when uh, I got my Bible that I read during the week, I still have that same one, um, and I finally understood the principle of what this is. It's God speaking to me. On that front page, you want to know what I did? I wrote, because I bought it for myself, so I, no one gave it to me, right? It wasn't a graduation gift from mom and dad or something. Presented to David Allen Fossold. By God. That's what I wrote down because I never wanted to forget what this is to me. Question. Do you act like this is the word of God? And I'm not trying to guilt you, but you know, if you and I are leaving it on our shelves for weeks on end and we're not picking it up. We say this is special, but we don't treat it like it's very special. I just want to encourage you. Read it. And study it. Oh, I know you're busy, but make time for the small group Bible study and sign up for something. Make make youth group a priority. Make it a priority for your kids to go to our children's program. Why? Because this is special. What next? 
Take your Bible seriously. Second principle. Let's put the next slide up there. As they approached the village, so these they're still walking, to which they were going, Jesus decided he was going to continue on and go further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So Jesus went in to stay with them. The phrase that I've highlighted and underlined, you can't say it any stronger in the Greek language. Please, we're begging of you. Can you stay with us? Can, can, you, can you keep explaining this to us? Because we want to grow in our faith. Principle number two, you see it at the bottom of the screen, is vigorously and vigilantly be vigilant about your faith. Do whatever you got to do to take your next step in your faith. Question, what do you got to do? What one thing would help you take your next step in your faith journey? We're all at different stages in our faith journey. What is it for you? Maybe some of you might say, you know what? Um, I need to make coming to church more regular. Once, once a month isn't cutting it for me. Maybe some of you would say, you know, we talked about reading the Bible. I got to get better at praying. I barely pray for my meals. Some of you might say, you know, I need to start giving financially. Or some of you might say, I need to start serving somewhere. Some of you might say, you know, there's that thing called sin in my life. And there's a couple of them I'm really good at. And I got to get rid of them. (laughs) I don't care. Whatever it is for you. What one thing do you need to do to take a step in the right direction to grow your faith? Be vigilant. Be vigorous. Urge. And be strong about making that happen. What next? Be serious about your faith. And the last one, you know it's coming. Let's put it up there. Is accept Jesus in your life. I got five minutes left. And in five minutes, I'm going to give someone here an opportunity to get saved. When Jesus was at the table with them, he was talking to them. It says their eyes were open and they recognized Jesus. You know what I've been praying for more than anything else this week? That your eyes, your minds would be opened. That you would finally understand God does not grade on a curve. It doesn't matter how nice you are, how likable you are, how good you are. When it comes to salvation, that doesn't matter. What matters is one thing. What did you do with Jesus? What did you do with Jesus? And I've been desperately praying that some of us would get it. You know what? It doesn't even matter if you have him right here. What matters is if you have him right here. Some of us understand him. Some of us have not embraced him. Trusted him. It says their eyes were open and they recognized Jesus. He disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, you know, were not our hearts burning with us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to, to, to us? So as they're talking with Jesus, they, they now start to reflect and they go, you know what? I knew something was different. I could feel it in my gut. I could feel it in my heart. And some of you can feel that right now, right here. You can't quite explain it, but there's something going on right here. I'm going to have the band come up as they're coming up. I got one last story for you. Guy gets to heaven. He gets to the pearly gates. Peter meets him there and he says, well, we have a plan to get into heaven. And here's what you need to do. You need a thousand points to get into heaven. The guy says a thousand points. I never heard this before. Yeah. Everything you do in life, 
um, based upon how good you were, you get points. So you tell me what you did. I'll give you points. If you get a thousand points, you get to come into heaven. That guy's like, I never heard that, but okay, here we go. And so he starts telling me, he says, well, I attended church almost every week. I always put something in the offering and I served. And um, Peter says, well, let me calculate that. That's uh, you get five points for that. He goes, five points. He goes, yeah, you got 955 points to go. So you better start telling me more good stuff you did. So he's like, well, uh, I, I never cheated on my wife. Never cheated on my taxes. Never cheated my employer out of a day's work. What do I get for that? Hard day's work. And he looks at the clipboard again. He says, well, you get another five points for that. You're up to 10. What else did you do? He's like, goodness gracious. I never cussed, never got drunk, never did drugs. What do I get for that? Five points. You're up to 15. Help me out. He said, oh, what about as a dad? What did you do as a dad? Were you, I, he goes, I actually, thank you. I was a good dad. I, I, I coached my son's little league team for six years. Actually, I got to get something for that. I, I always helped my son with his homework at night. And we were football fans. Once a year, I take him to a Niner game. What do I get for all that? And he says, well, for the little league, you get five points. For taking him to a Niner game, you get minus two points. Well, that's not a, we're not good for that. So you got 18 points. You got 18 points, right? So, right, this is going on. And as this is happening, the guy's in trouble, right? And he turns to the guy behind him. He goes, at this rate, it's only the grace of God that I'm going to get into heaven. And Peter goes, what would you say? Huh? What? What would you what'd you just say to the guy? Behind? What? Well, I just, I said to him, at this rate, the only way I'm going to get in is the grace of God. Grace of God, you get 5,000 points. Welcome to heaven. You see, the only way you get in is by the unmerited favor and the unmerited grace of God because you see you're not good enough you can never be good enough at best you're going to get about 18 to 22 points you need a thousand see God doesn't grade on a curve he's got one question at the end of time what'd you do with my son what'd you do with my son let's close in prayer as heads are bowed and eyes are closed What's next for you? What's next? Why did God want you here today? How many of you here today feel like, you know what? I got it. I need to get more serious about my Bible. I I don't always understand all of it, but I I have to start reading and studying it more. Lock that decision in if that's your choice today. For others of you, you got to get more serious about your faith. I got to start serving. I got to start giving. I got to be more regular on Sunday. Whatever it is, lock that in. I'm going to get more serious about my faith. For some of you, God brought you here today because he's hoping your eyes would be opened and your heart would be softened and you would finally say yes to Jesus. If you've never done that before, In the quietness of your heart, I want you to pray this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, dear God, the best way I know how, I say yes to Jesus today. I know I got garbage in my life. I know I have sin in my life. I've tried to be a good person and today I get it. I can't be good enough. So instead of leaning and relying on my own goodness, today I lean on Jesus. Today I bring my sin and I lay it at the foot of the cross. 
And I confess and I believe and I trust that only through the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Jesus, can I have forgiveness of sin. From this day forward, I declare Jesus is my Savior. And I declare Jesus is the Lord of my life, my boss. I love you, God. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, we had about 10 to 15 people first service that made that prayer. If you prayed that prayer, would you just do me a favor? Just slip your hand up so I could see it and pray for you. Just slip it up so I could see. I see that hand in the back in the front. Anyone else right here up front? I see those hands. Anyone else? I see your hand up here. Anyone else? Slip it up real quick so I could see. I see that hand in the back. Thank you. Heavenly Father, for those that have made that prayer, who have trusted in you as Savior, Father, we rejoice with the angels in heaven. Realizing that this Easter Sunday, it's not just another word for spring break. It's something special. It represents the turning point in history. Father, we are so incredibly grateful that your son not only died, but today we celebrate that he in fact is risen. Father, we love you. We are so desperately wanting to please you and honor you. We do so first as we trust Jesus. And we do so second as we walk out of these doors and we begin to share the love of Jesus with others. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people say. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, exists to help everyone take their next step closer to Jesus. Thanks again for listening.